All right, so we just read Romans chapter 10, which is where I want to focus some of the main points of my message tonight, but uh, we're going to actually start going from chapter 9, because what I want to preach about tonight is about the physical salvation of Israel that is spoken of in Romans chapter 10. And I've heard many people refer to the fact that Romans 10 is talking about physical salvation for Israel, and that's actually a very true statement when you hear people bring that up. And often when I hear people bring that up, I'm like, yes, I'm, I'm glad you realize that and you've noticed that, but then they will often proceed to then tell you how everything that you're preaching and that you've practiced from Romans 10 is wrong, and they'll make it not about soul salvation, which is dead wrong. So if you want to say Romans 10 is about physical salvation for Israel, you're actually right. If you want to say it's not about soul salvation, you are dead wrong. And so if you've been using Romans 10 in your gospel presentation, I just wanted to say that was very appropriate for you to do so. Uh, I hope you keep using Romans 10. You're not wrong for doing that. But it does not mean that when people reference the physical salvation of Israel in this chapter, there's not a lot of truth to what they're saying. And Romans 9 through 11 is probably one of the most butchered passages of scriptures in all of the Bible, especially in independent fundamental Baptist churches. And probably the only people who butcher it worse than dispensationalists are Calvinists. Uh, but at the same time, uh, they are. It's, and it's frustrating. And I hear weird stuff preached all the time from Romans 9, 10, and 11 from Calvinists, from dispensationalists. And I just want to pull my hair out. And it's like, why can't you people see the big picture here? What's going on? Why can't you get context? And so I get really frustrated when I hear a lot of foolishness from these three chapters. And so what I want to do in this message tonight is I want to show and illustrate the facts about the physical salvation that is spoken of in Romans 9 through 11. But I also want to prove that it is 100% appropriate to use these passages when preaching to anyone about soul salvation. And so tonight, I'm also going to break all IFB rules when it comes to preaching, all IFB rules when it comes to homiletics, and I'm actually going to preach through three chapters tonight. Okay, so I hope you all are ready to do some reading. I'm going to try to make this fast. I might only make it through two, but I'm, I'm going to shoot for three. And some of you all look scared, but okay, but I'm, I'm still going to try to get done in normal time. Just be ready to read, ready to pay attention. I think I can preach a sermon through all three chapters and it actually sounds like a sermon. And so I'm going to, it is, it's breaking all the rules of IFB. You normally just using one verse as a springboard, take it out of context and run with it. But, uh, we're, we're going to, we're going to look at these three chapters because that's the key. I think that is the key. Too often we are, we're just isolating scriptures instead of just looking at the whole story and we're, and we're missing everything. And that's not good because the truth is, you know, we have, one thing you have to realize is that Romans, you know, it is, it's one letter. Okay, there's 16 chapters, but it's one letter that, you know, we've added these sections in there ourselves to help us find things. And that's fine. But this is one letter. And Romans 9 through 11, it is all one subject. It's all one subject. It's one continuous subject, one continuous thought. And if we just, you know, when we get to Romans 11, if we ignore what he said in 9 and 10, then we're going to, yeah, you're going to get real confused. But I think when we look at all these things together, it becomes crystal clear what's being spoken of. So let's start reading. So pay attention quick and we'll try to get through this quick. So it says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not my conscience also bearing witness uh, in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart 
For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Whose are the fathers? And of whom is concerning the flesh? Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. And without a doubt, he is talking about the physical nation of Israel. And he has made it clear that this nation does not have soul salvation. They do not have Jesus Christ. They are on their way to hell. And he could wish that he was accursed for his brethren, for his kinsmen according to the flesh. This is talking about a physical nation to the Israelites, to the people that pertain the adoption and the covenants. The things that God made, the covenants that God made were made for Israel, but they were not saved. And Paul was burdened for them. And so he expresses how the things of the law, the covenants and promises, they were for that physical nation. And the fact that as a nation, they had rejected God could possibly lead to the idea that God's plan failed. I mean, if the covenants were made for Israel and they're not saved, then that would might lead somebody to think that God's word not is it of none effect. And so he goes on to say, not though that as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall they see be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. So Paul is assuring the Romans that God's will is going to be done. God's plan is going to be done. But we now understand God's plan is going to be fulfilled not through a physical people and a physical nation as we thought, as we had hoped, you know, before Christ came and revealed things to us through the Holy Ghost. It's not going to be with a people and nation that Paul loved, that Paul even wished himself were accursed for them. He is saying God's promises will be fulfilled, but not through them. It's not going to be fulfilled through a physical people. And then what he's about to do here is he's about to start going and using Bible. He's about to start going and using Old Testament to prove that God's covenants, God's will is not going to be fulfilled through a physical people. And so he says in verse 9, for this is the word of promise. You know what he's saying? This is what God actually said. You know, you might have had thought before, no, these things have to take place with the physical people. But Paul, it's like he's dealing with the dispensationalists of this day. And he's saying, no, this is what God said. He says, at this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, or of him that runneth, but God that showeth mercy. Now this is the passage that the Calvinists take, and they just like to run with it, but Paul, he remember, Paul wants God to save a physical people. God wants Paul to save a physical nation. Paul wish he would be accursed 
for these people. But Paul understands from the Old Testament that God's purpose and God's will is not going to be fulfilled through a physical people, but a spiritual people. Through someone that God has chosen. And God has not chosen the physical people. God has chosen the spiritual people just like how God chose Isaac over Ishmael, the one born of promise. Just like God chose Jacob over Esau. God didn't choose these individuals for salvation, one for salvation and one for hell. No, God chose that the seed was going to come through Isaac and not Ishmael. God chose that the seed was going to come through Jacob and not Esau. God chose for those things. God chose to bless the nation of Israel over the Edomites, which is when he's referring to Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. He's quoting Malachi, where it's not doing a prophecy so much about individuals, but a prophecy about two nations. And folks, did God favor Israel over the Edomites? Yes, he did. Very clear that he did. God gave him a better land. And God, God did many great things for Israel. And God did some good things for Edom but not as good as he did for Israel because God preferred Israel over Edom. And so, uh, you know, we can't just... To make this about individuals is foolish. Paul's saying, I want God to save Israel. I want God to save my kinsmen according to the flesh. But God chose the spiritual. God didn't choose those of the flesh. In fact, he's going to go show that God actually chose the flesh for destruction is what God chose. For the scriptures say, and, and God does choose some for destruction. That doesn't mean God chooses, you know, individuals to go to hell, but God has chosen that those who are of faith go to heaven, those who are not of faith go to hell. God has chosen that a physical seed, they, they go to hell, where a spiritual seed goes to heaven. God did choose that the physical nation of Israel be destroyed, where God has chosen that the spiritual nation will be saved and will be rescued. God chose all those things and God can do that. So, and, and, and I'm in verse, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but chapter 11 goes on to show that even individuals that are Jews can be saved. They can still get the individual salvation. So, it says, For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose, have I raised thee up that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared through the earth. So God raised up Pharaoh for destruction and God raised up this physical nation of Israel that Paul loved, that Paul wanted God to save. God raised them up for destruction. Therefore, hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy and unto whom he will, he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, why doth he yet find fault for who hath resisted his will? Nay, but O man, but who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? So this, this is not about, you know, these verses here are not about me versus you as vessels of honor and dishonor. But this is about a physical people. A physical people are vessels of dishonor. Israel, as a nation, was a vessel of dishonor. And if you do not believe that, Follow our study through the book of Judges and you will see they were a pretty rotten group. They were vessels of dishonor. But those of faith, they are the vessels of honor. The spiritual, they are the vessels of honor. This is not about, you know, God chose Brother Daniel to be a vessel of dishonor. He's going to hell no matter what. Well, he chose me to be a vessel of honor. I'm going to heaven no matter what. That's absolute foolishness. And to teach Calvinist election from Romans 9 
is embarrassing and ridiculous. And I'm going to try not to keep ranting about Calvinists, but I just don't like them, and I disagree with their doctrine, and I can't stand them. So uh, I just I'm going to have I'm, I have trouble going to Romans nine and not just rant about Calvinists. But it says, verse twenty-two, um, or I don't, it says, "What if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction?" Folks, he's talking about Israel there. He calls them the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. So, and the Calvinists they do they refuse to re- repent of their teaching that God is applying this to individuals. But again, when we go to Romans 11, he's making sure, hey, just because God chose Israel for destruction, I don't want you to think they can't be saved because I'm from Israel. That's what Paul said. So nobody, Paul did not want anybody to mistakenly get the idea from what he said in Romans 9 that God has cast away His people, meaning they can't be saved. So keep that in mind. And so verse 22, and you know, and Calvinists, they're going to stay in Romans 9. They're not going to go to some of his clarifications in chapter 11 because it totally debunks everything they teach. So verse 22, or 23, says, And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he hath afore prepared unto glory. So the vessels of honor are the spiritual people, like Isaac. The people of, are the vessels of dishonor, Physical people like Israel, and so we are the vessels of honor because we're a faith. And so, and who else? And so, who else could he be talking about there? But the church, okay. And the next verses not only prove this, but it goes on to show that this is what was prophesied. Okay? He's he's basically showing, I don't want, I don't want what's coming for Israel to happen, but it's going to happen. It's not what I thought was going to happen. It's not what I expected. But it turns out this is what was prophesied. This is what the prophet said. And Romans 9 through 11 is full of Old Testament references that we could go to. But for time's sake, we're not going to go to all of them because it would just, it would take too much time. But verse 24, he says, even us, okay, talking about the vessels of mercy, he said, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he saith also in Osi, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said to them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. So this was a prophecy that he refers to is directly named at the northern kingdom of Israel, and it's not aimed at the southern kingdom of Judah, which is where the Jews were from. The northern kingdom, they are the people that got all mixed in with the Gentiles. And God said to that northern kingdom that they were not his people for a while. But God said, prophesied that he would call them his people again. And he included us Gentiles. And with that, we are the fulfillment of that. And not only has God called those people that got mixed in with the Gentiles his people again, but he has also excluded those who are only physical Jews. The people that thought, well, we never got all mixed in with the Gentiles. We're all good. Our bloodline's still good. They're excluded. In verse 27, says, Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. And Israel as a whole has ever only ever had a remnant who were actually saved with soul salvation. 
It says, For He will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And Isaiah said before, Except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. And so while God eventually did destroy Israel, and, God, and while God did destroy Israel many times, for example, the Babylonian captivity when they came through and got wiped out and removed from their land, God never destroyed them like He did Sodom and Gomorrah. He always left a remnant so He could fulfill the promises to Abraham. So they weren't like Sodom and Gomorrah where they got completely destroyed. God always left a remnant. There's always been a remnant of saved Jews. Verse 30, what shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which follow not after righteousness, have attained to the righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now, I, I, and we don't have time, but if, we, if you go back and you look at these, many of these references, especially about calling on the Lord, these were given at a time when Israel had armies surrounding them, when destruction was coming, when the Assyrians were coming, at, coming for them. And you know what? During that time, they called on the Lord and God saved them from the Assyrians. They received a physical salvation. But here in Romans chapter 9, the Apostle Paul, without a doubt, irrefutable, I mean, there's no way around it, he is talking about soul salvation for Israel, and he is saying in order for them to be saved, you know what they need to do? They need to also get the spiritual message from those prophecies in Isaiah, in Hosea, and they need to call on the Lord, and they need to believe on Christ, and they need to be saved so they can have soul salvation, and they don't have it. They don't have righteousness right now. He said, and you know why they don't have righteousness? Because they're trying to get it by the works of the law rather than by faith. If they want to actually get righteousness, you know what they need to do? They need to do what was said they needed to do back in Isaiah. They need to call on the Lord. And if they will call on the Lord, then they will receive that righteousness and they will be saved. And so understand, the Apostle Paul, he takes passages about physical salvation for Israel and he makes them spiritual and applies them to spiritual salvation here in Romans. And folks, Paul does that a lot in Romans where he takes principles of very specific things from the Old Testament and he makes a spiritual application with those things. So a person is not wrong when they acknowledge the physical salvation that's being spoken of but you're crazy if you try to take away the spiritual salvation and say that's not there. That's dead wrong. You are, you are dead wrong. You are pointing out a fact that a lot of people aren't paying attention to because why would we worry about the physical salvation of Israel? They already got nailed. Okay? And, you know, so we're not really worried about it. You know, what we're worried about is soul salvation. And so we're taking the spiritual principles from these things that Paul talked about and rightfully proclaiming these things to the world even though they're not Israel, because there is application. And we'll, and we'll see more of that here in a little bit. So when we get to chapter 10, okay, you know, and Paul, he's, he's already showed us you know, what happened to Israel is what was prophesied was going to happen. It was prophesied that they were going to stumble at the stumbling stone, Jesus Christ. 
It was prophesied that they were going to kill the Messiah. It was prophesied that they were going to do all those things. So he says in chapter 10, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So even though Paul has talked about, first off, I could wish myself for a curse for him. Even though Paul has admitted that these people, they are the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction, it's my desire that they be saved. Now, Paul's already established. You know, I'm not going to say to the Creator, I'm not going to say to the potter what he can do with his work that he made. I'm not going to say what he can and can't do with his vessels. But you know what? There was nothing wrong with Paul saying, you know what? I want them to be saved. Okay? And, you know, there's nothing wrong with us. You know, if you've got a family member that's a reprobate or something like that, you know, it's okay for you to want them to get saved and hold out hope or, you know, that maybe they're not or something like that. You know, it's, as long as you're not, you know, go fighting God on these things. It's okay. You know, if, if, you know, I had a loved one that died and they weren't saved, I would want God to let them go to heaven anyway. I mean, I know he's not going to, but I might have those feelings. And so it's, there's nothing wrong with having positive feelings towards the group. And obviously Paul loved his people and it was his desire that they would be saved. But so here's the big question. When he says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, is he talking about physical or spiritual salvation? Okay. And I'm just going to tell you right now, he's talking about both. He's talking about both. Now, I don't have time to go to a lot of other scriptures to prove this, but I would refer you to my message I preached a while back on Acts 2, where I talked about this, that when they, when Peter was preaching at Pentecost, he is preaching personal and national repentance. He, he's preaching both because the apostles wanted Israel to be saved. Jesus had pronounced all kinds of judgment on them not long before, and they killed Jesus, and they were going to be judged as a nation for what they did, and they needed to repent of what they did so they would not be destroyed. And the apostles, in the when the church started, they were on a mission to get Israel to repent, to get Israel saved, so the individuals could go to heaven, but also so their nation wouldn't be destroyed. Now, they failed in getting Israel saved. But did that stop the 3,000 Pentecost from going to heaven? Absolutely not. And so we'll say more about that in a little bit. But there is, we do see individual salvation and national salvation spoken of. And so, but the, the nation of Israel was going to be destroyed. But here's what you've got to understand. Israel has no hope of physical salvation without soul salvation. You understand that? God wasn't going to save Israel if they just repented of their sins and started being nicer to the prophets and, you know, not you know, being hypocrites and all that kind of stuff. No, they killed Jesus. They killed the Messiah. They needed to accept his offering for their sins instead of their own works. They needed to do that. And if they weren't going to repent of killing Jesus, if they weren't going to accept Him as the Messiah, then you know what? Not only were, was their nation going to be destroyed, but when they died, they were going to go to hell. Okay, now, here's the difference today. When we preach to people, we're not preaching to get our nation saved. We're preaching to get individuals saved. Okay? And our nation is not guilty. You know, We're not the nation that put the most righteous man ever to death. The only righteous man. We're not the nation that did that. Theirs was, and their nation paid for it in 70 AD. And so, you know, we can't try to pretend there aren't 
references to physical salvation in this passage, but we can't ignore the way to receive physical salvation is that nation as a whole has got to believe on Christ. They've got to get saved like you and I got saved. They've got to call upon the Lord to be be saved like we did. And so the next verses, Paul is explaining why they are not getting saved. And it's the same reason many don't get saved today. And understand too, something that's, you know, that, that is, again, that's very different about our ministry or that, that's different than the ministry of the apostles shortly after the resurrection. We're not trying to get people saved from national destruction. Okay? And understand the apostles, it hadn't been revealed to them was going to be destroyed. That wasn't revealed yet. They're trying to get them saved. Now, it has been revealed to us through John, through the book of Revelation, that our world is going to be destroyed one of these days. But you know what? That doesn't change the fact that we have a ministry like Paul to reach that remnant. And that's what Paul said. Israel's going to go to hell. Israel's going to be destroyed. But you know what? I can reach a remnant. And folks, our world is going to go to hell. Our world is going to be destroyed. But you know what? We can go reach a remnant. We can go save some. We can pull some out of the fire. And so just like Israel never got saved, only a remnant did, our world will never get saved, but a remnant will. So verse 2 says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now, I know he's talking about Jews there, but that sounds like a lot of Catholics I know. That sounds like a lot of Presbyterians I know and a lot of other religions that I know and even some Baptists I know trying to establish their own righteousness. For, and, and, and what do we believe about those people? That they're not saved. Hey, everything Paul's talking about here, this is about soul salvation. It says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. And he's quoting Old Testament. Quoting Old Testament where the prophets are trying to get Israel to call on the Lord to save them from their enemies. But Paul is using this Without a doubt, talking about soul salvation. Without a doubt. And he goes on to say, too, even though God was talking to Israel back then, well, not all the Bible's written to you, you know, but it's all written for you. You know all the little things. Go, oh, that was written to the Jews. But then Paul says, for there is no difference between the Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if God promised all these this deliverance to Israel... If they would call on him, you know what? He's not just the God of Israel; he's of, or of the Jews, but he's also of the Greeks and of the Gentiles. He's rich unto all that call upon him. And so, you know what? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And let me tell you something too. Theoretically, theoretically, what do you think? Do you think the tribulation would still come if the whole world got saved? Let me think about it. If the whole world would just believe on Christ. 
then they, you can't send a tribulation. He'd have to wait for a whole other generation to come that forgets the Lord. Because, you know, the truth is, I mean, if, if judgment, was, you know, tribulation was scheduled to start tomorrow, if the whole world got saved today, then who's he going to pour his wrath out on? He can't. But, you know, we all, we all understand that's not going to happen. But we do understand, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And they will be spared God's wrath. They will be saved from that day of judgment. We understand that. And, when, and folks, when you get saved from that day of judgment, it not only is a soul salvation, but it's a physical salvation too. You know, we understand the rapture is a physical salvation. So, there's absolutely no way to make Romans 10, 13 a not, not about soul salvation. There's absolutely no way to do that. And so what some are trying to do is show that the fact that there is a reference to physical salvation, especially if you go to the Old Testament, it's like all of a sudden now the Bible's not telling people to call on the Lord for soul salvation. Or that it's possible for someone to believe on Christ without calling on Him for salvation, which is absurd. And we talked about that, I think it was last week or the week before. So what we've already seen Paul do in this message is he's proved through Old Testament examples He's proven that very specific things that were physical, he's used those things to teach spiritual truths. For example, Ishmael and Isaac. These are physical examples, but he taught a spiritual truth about the physical versus the spiritual seed. He used Esau and Jacob. How God, just like God favored one over the other, God favored the one of promise, the one he had chosen. God favors the spiritual over the physical. And, and so he also used Abraham in chapter 4, believing God without works for righteousness. He used that as proof of salvation without works. And now he is showing, just like Israel calling on the Lord for deliverance from their, from their enemies resulted in a physical salvation, we understand that calling on the Lord will do the same for them as a nation but also for you, without a doubt, as an individual. He's, he's teaching that truth. And so understand, the fact that calls for national repentance were not successful, you know, did it change the fact that those who did listen were spared as individuals? Obviously it did. It meant a lot for those individuals that listened. While Israel did not repent at Pentecost. Did Israel repent at Pentecost? No, they didn't. But you know what? 3,000 did. And not only did they go to heaven when they died, but you know historians tell us that when Jerusalem got destroyed in 70 AD, all the Christians were gone. All of them had escaped. You know, they, they kind of got physical salvation too. Now, their nation still got destroyed. They still lost all those things. But you know what? At the same time too... Did you know that all those people that lost their land during that time, even saved people, there's something coming called the restitution of all things. There's something called the resurrection. And they're going to get it back. And they're going to have it way longer than they would have lived you know, on this earth during that time. So, verse 14 says, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? He's about to show more prophecy, just showing they, God knew they weren't all going to believe. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. 
But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he saith, all day long have I stretched forth my hands into a disobedient and gainsaying people. And what we're seeing here is that Israel as a whole, they rejected Jesus Christ just as prophesied, but God's will was still done God's desire was still done through a remnant of saved Jews and a multitude of Gentiles. What God planned, what God prophesied, still got done. Even though Paul's disappointed that it's not going to be through the people that he wanted. It would be like if we knew that God had a nation, a chosen nation, a chosen physical nation. If If we found out... You know, there was a prophecy. Let's just say we found a prophecy in the Bible that proves in the future there's going to be this major revival in a chosen nation. Guess which nation I'm going to hope gets chosen? America. I'm going to, I'm going to want it to be America. And, it tur- and if it turns out that God wants it to be China, you know, I'm going to be like, I was really hoping it was going to be America, but you know what? God chose China. God's will is gonna, is gonna be done. And so, understand, while Paul wanted to see something done with Israel, he understood it's not gonna happen. Hey, we thought it was us the whole time, ladies and gentlemen. Upon further study of the Bible, it's not America. We stink. You know, we're, we're, you know, we're gonna be judged. You know, and, uh, yeah, but that's kinda where Paul's at. And so, before we go into chapter 11, you know, we need to point out a few things that everyone who preaches from Romans 11, I'm going to show you where they go wrong and some things they're all going to ignore. Because Paul has made it clear that physical Israel are the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. God chose this physical nation to be destroyed. And, and Paul has also made it clear, though, that the promises made for physical Israel will have their fulfillment in Jews and Gentiles of faith. The things God promised will be fulfilled through them and so this would bring up the question of, all right, so if Israel's that bad, if God chose them for destruction, if Isaiah prophesied that they would not accept the Messiah, if they're fighting the gospel, if God's using Gentiles, then it kind of sounds like God's cast them away, like they're, like they're reprobate. So verse 1, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham and of the tribe of Benjamin. Now what the dispensationists will do, they'll take this verse. See, God's not done with Israel. God's going to bring them back. God's going to restore that physical nation once again. God's going to bring them back to their land. There's going to be a revival with 144,000 Jews. I read it out of a prophecy book. I read it out of 14 prophecy books. And these people are going to evangelize the world like we've never seen before. And then the Antichrist is going to make a peace treaty. and He's going to break it in the middle of it. And he's going to, you know, you, you all know the story. You get all that from if God cast away his people. Okay. Now, when I'm reading this, based on everything Paul's been saying, especially when he says, for I am an Israelite, I think he's just saying, folks, Jews can still be saved. I'm proof of that. Not only was I one of them, I I persecuted the church. But God still saved me. 
That's what he's saying right there. He's not saying, you know, God's got this future thing coming. No. Guess what? The physical nation are still the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. Okay? That hasn't changed from chapters 9 through 11. It's still, no. They are going to be destroyed. That nation's going to be destroyed. Folks, our world's going to be destroyed. But then, has God cast away the world? God forbid. Guess where we all came from? We all came from the world. You know, America is going to be destroyed. All right? America is going to be suffer the judgment of God. Does God cast away Israel? No. There's a remnant. Okay, We've got a remnant in America. There's a remnant in every country. Okay? God hasn't cast... God ha- you, can, you can say, has God cast away the world? God forbid. God's not cast away the world. Verse 2, God hath not cast away His people which He foreknew. Wot ye not what the Scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, then at this present time, there also there is a remnant according to the election of grace and if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be by works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So, Paul is showing right now, right now, there's a remnant. You know why? Because God hasn't cast away His people. God hasn't cast away His people. Paul did not say God has not cast away His people because God's going to do something in the future. He's saying, no, God hasn't cast away His people. You know why? Because He's doing work right now. He didn't say God hasn't cast away His people because He's got something come with 144,000 Jews from each of the 12 tribes. No, that's not, that's not what He's doing. He's saying, no, because right now, God's doing a work. And it's by grace. It's by grace that God's saving these Jews that are part of the, part of the covenant. And He says, what then? Israel hath not obtained that which He seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. The election are those, including Jews, who are of faith. The rest are blinded. The election are the saved. And Jews who were saved and were of faith, guess what? They're the election. They're okay. They're saved. Verse 8, according as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, unto this day. And notice all the references too that Paul makes to this present time. Unto this day. Even so at this time. Because people want to make Romans 11 all about something in the future. And it's, it's not about the future. And David said, Let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. And it sounds like David wasn't blessing Israel right here with what he's saying. He's being pretty harsh. He said, I say them, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. So God didn't do this just so they could fall, just so they wouldn't have a chance of salvation. No, God is doing this work with the Gentiles actually to motivate Israel to get saved. He's trying to provoke them to jealousy. God didn't just make them fall so He could just forget about them and then go save those Gentiles. No, God's saving Gentiles amongst the Jews so the Jews will see what's going on with the Gentiles and get jealous and then come back to God. God's doing a work with the Gentiles among them because He wanted to save them then. But you know what you have prophecy preachers preach today? One of these days, Jesus Christ is going to come back and He's going to rapture His church out of there and them Jews are going to figure out. 
man, we were wrong. They're going to be jealous when we're up there having the marriage supper of the Lamb. They're going to get provoked to jealousy and they're all going to get saved. No, this was about that time. Stop trying to make it about this future restoration. Listen, when, you, when you're just determined to make a doctrine fit the Bible, you can find a verse that you can twist to make it sound like that's the case. But folks, it's not in Romans 11. I would never go to Romans 11 and try to prove a future restoration of Israel, but people do it. And so it says, Now at the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. Now, you know, how is the fall of them being the riches of the world? Again, God is doing a work among all us Gentiles in the world to provoke them to jealousy. That's a good thing for us, isn't it? We're, God's doing all this greatness for us to provoke them to jealousy. He's doing it for them. So they can be saved. And here we are, reaping the benefits of getting saved, having the Holy Spirit, God doing a work among us, and God's doing that for their benefit, to provoke them to jealousy. And so it says, For I speak to you Gentiles, as much as I am an apostle to Gentiles, I magnify mine office, if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. And this is the same attitude we have with the world today. We, the world's going to hell, but we are going to try to save some of them. My heart's desire for America is that it be saved. But they're not going to be. This nation is not going to be saved. But you know what? I'm going to save some. I can save some. The election, you know, God, because God hasn't cast, them away, cast America away. And so just like it was God's will to destroy Israel for all their sins, it is God's will to destroy the world for their sins. And since the world is condemned, it does not mean God has cast away the world. Has God cast away the world? No, God forbid. There is a remnant. And so we could actually say if we wanted to, and I'm not trying to add to the Bible, I'm just making a statement and I'm using biblical type terms, but I believe this is true. But I think we could say if we wanted to, and so all the world shall be saved if they abide not still in unbelief. Because Jesus Christ paid for the sins of the whole world. Redempt, you know, the salvation has been purchased, but they, they've got to believe on him. But what's the challenge? Getting people to believe. Getting people to accept that. So for if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first root be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and now being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them partakers of the root and fatness of the olive tree... Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. But if God, For if God spare not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in this goodness, otherwise thou shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. And people will read that and say, God's going to graft them in again. No, if they abide not still in unbelief. If they will get saved. And understand what it means to be connected to that olive tree is that olive tree, you could say, it represents the church or it represents the work of God. And God was using Israel. To them were committed the oracles of God. They were the ones that had the temple. They were the ones that had the covenants and promises. But because of their unbelief, God broke them off and God did not use them for bearing fruit. God broke those branches off because there was no fruit on those branches. And God grafted us as a wild olive tree 
uh, branch into that tree and God is bearing fruit with us. And as individuals or as a church, I don't believe we can lose our salvation, but as a church, you know what? We could quit being a branch. We could quit bearing fruit. If we get caught up in false doctrine, if we start preaching a bunch of lies, if we're not souling, if we're not doing things we're supposed to do. And I've preached on that before. I don't want to spend any time on that. But it says God is able to graft them in. That just means they can be restored to service for God again. They can be restored to their covenants that they were cut off from if they abide not still in unbelief. Everyone reads God's able to graft them in and they just say God's going to graft them in. No, Paul said there's an if. That's not a prophecy that God is going to do this no matter what. No, it's a prophecy that you could say that if they abide not still in unbelief, God will graft them in. And you know what? I'm, I'm not claiming to be a prophet right here, but you know what? I'll, t- I'll tell you right now. You go find any Jew. You go find any individual. If they will abide not still in unbelief, God will graft them into the olive tree. I know God will do that. You think you know the future? No, but I know God's promises and I know he keeps them and he promised that he would. That's all he's saying right there. But people pull from this, no, this is going to happen. No, it's not going to happen. It says, For I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, or ignorant of this mystery, that you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in, and so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer and shall turn ungodliness away from Jacob. Now, folks, we cannot ignore the fact that while in another, it was another chapter, it's in this passage, 9 through 11, where Paul made it crystal clear that the promises to Israel would not be fulfilled with a physical people, but a spiritual people of promise. He's saying the word of God is not taking none effect. No, it's just they're not all Israel that are of Israel. We cannot ignore that. We cannot leave that out. We can't ignore the fact that those who are in unbelief are going to be cast off and are broken off and cast into the fire. And there is in no way showing a future restoration of a physical people here, but it's referencing a fulfillment of a promise that God made to Israel about them being saved because it was prophesied in Jeremiah out of, out of Zion will come a deliverer that will turn ungodliness away from Jacob. And in Acts chapter Two or three, Peter said, that happened. God sent Jesus, delivered, and turning you, every one of you, from your iniquities. It's already happened. Okay, it's already been done. The deliverer already came. And we have to tell dispensationalists that all the time. The deliverer came. When did he turn on God and away from Jacob? When he died on the cross, when he paid for their sins. Well, I'm not seeing the promise of that. Well, we have the spiritual promise right now when we get saved. And when he returns... He is going to give the physical fulfillment of those things. And we are beneficiaries of that. And when Jesus Christ returns, if they have, are still in unbelief, they are going to be destroyed, as prophesied by Jesus in his parables, as prophesied by Paul, as prophesied by Peter. The physical people are under the wrath of God. Wrath has come on them to the uttermost, to the end. They are the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. And we believe God's going to keep his promises to Israel. And that's why we know they're toast. That we know they can be saved, but if we also understand if they don't get saved before Jesus comes back in the rapture, they are toast. They are toast without a doubt. Because they're not really of Israel. That's what Paul said. They're not really of Israel. Yeah, but they, they descend biologically. So did Ishmael. 
So did Esau. But God chose Jacob. God chose Isaac. God chose the children of promise. God chose the spiritual over the physical. And so He says, For this is My covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins, as concerning the Gospel they are enemies for your sake, but as touching the election they are beloved for the Father's sake. And so physical Jews are enemies of the Gospel, but elect Jews, Jews of faith, are beloved and included because of God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God left them a remnant. He said, I don't think they deserve a remnant. I don't either. But the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. What he says in the next verse. For as ye in time past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. So Paul again, he's still talking about the present. And he's still talking about now they can obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. God put Israel in the same boat all of us started out in. You want to know where Israel is today? First off, they were, the Israel of today was never attached to the olive tree. There were some in that, in that first century that you know, were a part of the things of God, that were part of the house of God, that had a claim. But when they rejected their Messiah, there came a point where God broke them off as a branch. But the Jews from the last 1900 years, they were never a part of it. You know why? God concluded them in unbelief. They need to get saved exactly the way. And they're not going to get grafted back in. They're going to get grafted in for the first time, just, just like we did. So, uh, you know, these, this should be elementary stuff. But Baptists are trying to force a prophecy in the Bible that just isn't there. And so, and it goes on. And so God, and this, this was a great miracle, God doing that. God did this. So even though they rejected him as a people, God still made a way for them to be saved. Think about that. God still, after all they did, God still made a way to be saved. Jews can still be saved today. When you're out soul winning, you see a Jew, you don't have to keep going. Okay? If you see a star of David on somebody's house, we don't have to treat it like we do the rainbow flag houses. You can, you can you can give them the gospel and they can be saved. You know why? I can't explain it, but I like how Paul says it here. Oh, the depth and riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Listen, God's miracle for Israel and their salvation has already been done. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it should be recompensed to him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And so, folks, when you look at what God has already done, it is the day of salvation. He turned ungodliness away when Jesus died on the cross, but they have rejected him. And yet, people have this harebrained idea that when Jesus Christ returns in judgment, like he said, that he's going to break his promise that he gave in the parable where he said, bring them before me that would not that I should reign over them and slay them before me. They're just like, nope, you don't understand the grace and the goodness of God. He's just going to save them anyway. No, he's not. They're the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. You're, you're, you're saying God broke his promise to Israel. No, you're saying God broke his promise to Israel. 
God kept His promise to Israel when Jesus died on the cross. And the fact that they can be saved today, and even a dispensationalist will agree that if they will believe on Christ today, they will be saved. And if they don't, they'll go to hell. That, the fact that they can be saved today proves God kept His promise to Israel. But that's not the only promise He made. He made a promise that if they, don't abide, if they abide in unbelief, they will be destroyed. They will be judged. And the physical people are definitely going to be destroyed. And so what we need to understand when reading our Bibles is that physical and spiritual destruction was pronounced on Israel and they needed to get spiritual salvation in order to get physical salvation. And you know what? They didn't get it. The remnant got it, but the nation as a whole did not. Israel was destroyed and was not saved. They were not destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah because God left the remnant. There's still physical Jews out there today. If anybody can prove it, I doubt it, but I'm sure they're there. But because and be, uh, but they are in unrighteousness right now and need Jesus in order to be grafted into the olive tree for the first time for them. And if they don't believe, they will go to hell and they will not receive some special salvation in exclusion of the rest of the world when Jesus comes back. God already dealt with Israel in 70 A.D., and understand, God is going to deal with the, re- the entire world, including the revived, you know, beast, fake Israel that is not of God. It is going to be, dis- the, re- the rest of the world is going to receive that judgment. And so in the meantime, you know, we can get so many spiritual applications from Romans 9, 10, and 11. It is 100% appropriate to use Romans 10 in your gospel presentation. I've heard some people say, no, we just need to stay in John. You got to stay out of Romans because that's about physical salvation. I don't even know what to say to that. Spiritual salvation is all over in there. Paul's just using these physical things to teach a spiritual truth. And Israel was heading for judgment and they got it. You know why? Because they weren't saved. They didn't get saved as a nation. But thank God for that remnant. And so let's keep doing that. Our world, it's just as doomed as Israel was, but we can reach the remnant. Let's keep on reaching that remnant. So with that, let's pray to your Lord. Thank you so much for the promise of salvation. Thank you, Lord, for keeping your promises. Thank you for making a way of salvation. Lord, I pray that this message will not discourage us, the fact that our world's going to go to hell, but it will motivate us to just try to reach a remnant and get as many people in as we possibly can. I pray we'll have a burden for our nation, just like Paul had for his nation. And he'll help us do whatever we've got to do to get some people saved. In your name we pray. Amen.